It was a beautiful day in Frisco, just warm enough to make life enjoyable, but without being overbearing or causing the day-long complaints that eventually come with the onset of summer. In the midst of this beauty, down amongst the exhaust fumes and newly laid concrete of Legacy Drive, essentially a six-lane highway in one of the busiest streets in Frisco, I was out for a stroll. I stumbled along in mud-cake jeans, shuffling in a mostly straight line down the center of Legacy, distractedly sparking my Bic lighter with one hand while cupping my other hand around the cigarette dangling between my lips. I wanted one last smoke before God took me, but the damn thing wouldn't light. I took no notice of the abrasive honking or the squealing rubber of suddenly averted tires as vehicles on this highly trafficked road swerved to avoid hitting me. I was too involved in that final cigarette to care about any of that. Too focused on the runes that were now caving into my life, I wanted out of this world, and just like the blindfolded prisoners in classic films are given one final smoke before they face the firing squad, I was entitled to this conclusive Marlboro light. Plus, if I looked down at the lighter, I might not see the face of whatever unfortunate motorist wound up taking me out. You see, just minutes before my ill-conceived stroll, I had looked into my parents' eyes and told them everything. It was the last of my face-to-face confessions I'd made that day about my double life, my secret identity. Blaine Bartell was the name in front of the curtains. Ask anyone who knew me then, and they'd tell you I was a great guy. As far as they knew, I was the man of God in my family, the voice that trumpeted the good news of the gospel around the world, both in pulpits and on the airwaves. His imagination knew no depth to its depravity, and it was a wellspring of death, incessantly gurgling forth new ideas to torture Blaine with. His mastery over Blaine seemed overwhelming, powered by the lethal, cold-blooded killer known as the God of Gratification. God had raised Blaine up, and Curtis was bringing him down. I had just unleashed a torrent of torment in my parents' lives, while Kathy and the boys may have had their suspicions about something being awry in my world. My mom and dad hadn't had a clue. And what I told them had knocked the emotional breath right out of them. I excused myself and headed for the backyard. I told them I needed a cigarette. Oh, I'd forgotten to tell them I'd taken up smoking, but that was the least of their worries. My house was only a mile or so away from my next destination, so I smoked that excuse-making cigarette, then carefully unlatched the gate in the back of my fence and started walking, more or less a beeline to an oddly shaped building in the distance. From a distance, it looked like a pile of boxes that you might find on the floor of a closet in your spare room, but it was actually the home of North Star Church the brand new building our four-year-old congregation had just moved into. I purposely walked through any mud I could find conveniently located in a sort of drainage ditch that snaked through the tall, empty brown grass. My shoes sank deep into the filth, but I powered through it. I was working hard and getting soiled in the process, and I deserved it. You see, I wanted to get dirty. I was done with my clean-cut image. I wanted everyone else to see who I really was. I wanted them to see Curtis. I walked through the doors of our handsome new building, tracking mud, and finally leaving a noticeable trace of my depravity as I wandered the halls looking for our assistant pastor, Stephen Pritt. I finally found him in my office. Stephen, 
I said. I need some church letterhead and an envelope. He looked up at me and then down at my jeans caked with mud. I'm not sure he didn't know what to think of my mud-spewed pants, and his eyes looked at me with combination of compassion and curiosity. He said, is everything okay, Pastor Blaine? I said, yeah. Taking the paper from him, I said, I'll be back in a minute. I made my way through the building that we had just opened four months before, all the way back to the stage, and I sat at the floor and wrote out my suicide note. I won't repeat it here, but the gist of it was apologizing and asking forgiveness of all the people I love most in my world, including my wife, our three boys, my parents, extended family, the staff of our church, and a few very close friends. I sealed the letter in an envelope, the taste of the envelope glue finding its way to my tongue through the cigarette residue and the saltiness of my tears, and I got up, walked back into Stephen's office, and I said, give this to Ron, handing him the envelope, and without another word, I turned and walked out of that building forever, out to meet my fate on Legacy Drive. It was an aptly named Street Legacy. <laughs> I was leaving a legacy for my family, my friends, and all that knew me. I was a wreck, and I don't deserve to live any longer, I thought. Might as well make it plain and leave my true legacy on Legacy Drive. As the cars whisked within inches of sending me either to hell or the hospital, I started making deals with God. Take me now for good. Here's your chance. Send a car in this miserable, painful existence. And within a couple minutes, God did send the perfect car, five of them, in fact, police cruisers. I was still trying to light that damn cigarette. The wonderful men and women of Frisco law enforcement surrounded me, guns drawn, and began barking orders at me. Put your hands on your head and get down. Get down now. We will shoot. Get down. I was in a daze. But I figured out how to comply with their wishes. I dropped my lighter, let the cigarette fall from my lips, put my hands the back of my head lowered myself until my knees felt the abrupt park mark surface of the concrete street. Lie down, they commanded. I did. The discomforting grit of the concrete digging into my cheeks as an officer put his knee in my back just before, just before swigging my arms behind me to cuff them at the wrists. Now I actually had shackles pressing into me, binding me, holding me back. How fitting. One of the officers got me upright and walked me over to the squad car, gently propping me into a sitting position against the front tire. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget his words. He said, what in the hell are you doing? And I have no recollection what I told him. I only know that I mumbled and babbled like a crazy man. Who are you, he asked. I said, uh, I'm the pastor of that church pointing in the direction of the jumbled boxes building with the slanted walls, North Star Church. The officer stared at me, trying to get a bead on how sober I was, I guess, and he narrowed his eyes and he said, problems at home? My eyes were out of tears by now. I'd cried them all out the past few hours, but they must have looked honest and sad because somehow I managed to convince these officers to take me back home instead of to a psych ward at a hospital 
Kathy, the boys, and my parents were searching for me outside the front door of our home when the police cruiser pulled up into the driveway and spat me out of the back door like Jonah. Before I could go in, the officers had to follow protocol by removing any guns from the house and requesting, demanding really, a 24-hour watch on my life. My family agreed, and off the police went, leaving me somehow even more humiliated than I already was. Today on Rethink This, we talk about a survivor's guide to wanting to end thy life. Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Rethink This, the Blaine Bartell podcast, and I'm Blaine Bartell, transforming thought on God, sex, and life resurrection. The opening narrative that I read uh, is actually taken from chapter 21 of my book, Death by a Thousand Lies, and if you have not got a copy of that, you need to. You should. (laughs) And... uh, you can pick it up uh, in uh, Amazon at Amazon, which is quick and quick and easy. A lot of you have heard of that. <laughs> or the best way is actually to go to BlaineBartel.com because you'll actually get a signed copy if you order through BlaineBartel.com. And if you're a pastor or maybe you've got a, a group that you gather with and you'd like to do uh, kind of do do it together, read it together, and use it as a as a uh, a group study. Uh, if you order twenty or more, there's a um, massive discount, so it goes down from fifteen dollars to ten. So, anyways, uh, this book is uh, just so you know, like the show, like the like the this uh, program. It is PG thirteen. Um, it is not for the faint of heart. It is a true, authentic, real story. In fact, uh, we actually sent it out to several Christian publishers. They wanted none of it. It was, in their words, too honest. And so uh, we just published it ourselves. And uh, I'm glad I, I did. I'd rather just tell the truth and be honest than, uh, oh, sugarcoat it and shade it. So anyways, uh get the book. You you will like it. And if you don't, uh, I will refund all of your money, I promise. All right. Let's talk about a survivor's guide to wanting to end thy life. Uh, mental health is a, is a big issue today. Uh, you have probably seen the news. Uh, so many people uh, struggling today, pastors uh, that have taken their lives, uh, celebrities and it you know we we've seen people like uh robin williams uh comes to mind uh because i i just loved that man so much and you know i go way back with robin williams back to mork and mindy in the 70s and have followed him all the way through and his his brand of comedy always appealed to me and uh it just baffles me it's it's ironic uh to see a a man like that it was just made so many people so happy to think that he was so unhappy that he couldn't live anymore and so when uh when you see this uh 
you have to you have to begin to think there are so many people that aren't celebrities or aren't well known that don't make the news uh, that are in uh, mental pain and emotional pain, and I so relate because uh, it it has been such a huge part of my life. Uh, this thing called depression, and I actually I really despise the word depression because it sounds so quaint. It sounds so manageable. I would really rather call it a monster or a, like an effing SOB. And if that abbreviation offends you on some level, then perhaps you've never suffered through the kind of depression I'm talking about because anyone who has knows that it is that, and it is even worse than that. You know, looking back, it, is, uh, it was really easier friends, for me to beat a 25-year porn and sex addiction than it was to fight the battle that I had to endure to break the, the, the sadness and the brokenness and the, the, the sheer depths of depression that I experienced in my soul. It was the most perplexing thing that I've ever gone through. It was just crazy because I could have these wonderful days where everything was so great and sunshine and song and friends and good fortune and that cheerful sense that God was with me. And then suddenly it would hit and literally minutes, sometimes just minutes later, no warning, and seemingly there would just be this feeling that would just sweep my soul that I, I felt like there was no way out. The only way to describe this feeling of depression was being dropped in a deep, dark hole with absolutely no way out. It was more like horror, just sheer horror than sadness, you feel like this pain in every part of your being. It's like your mind is haunted. Your body is listless. Your heart is spiritless. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to answer your phone. You don't want to answer a text. You don't want, you don't want to see anybody. You don't want to really even move. You just want the, the, the pain on the inside, in your head, in your heart, in your soul, in your body to end. I remember just going into my bedroom as quick as I could get home, pulling the covers over my head and going to sleep again and again. I mean, sometimes if my day allowed me to, I would, I would sleep five times a day as long as I could, you know. Because other than really ending my life, that was the only way I could escape. At least when I could go to sleep, I wouldn't feel anything. But the problem was I would wake up again. And see, de depression is this indiscriminate assassin. It really doesn't matter, you know, how little or how much you have in this life. It will try to find you. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. It doesn't matter how popular or unpopular you are. It is indiscriminate. And for all of us that uh, are, are listening right now, 
that are believers, that are Jesus people, that are gospel people. I just want you to know, and I say this with with love and compassion and grace, that there are no little snappy Jesus-y answers for this. And what do I mean by that, folks? I mean, you can't look somebody in the eye that is suffering through this and say, hey, man, just press, press into more prayer. Hey, bro, just speak to that mountain. Hey, man, this too shall pass, man. Just, you know, trust God. Everything's going to be cool. You, you can't do that because none of that works. And none of that is good. When, when people would, would give me those quaint little Jesus-y cliche answers, I would, I would want to kill them. Now I never did. All right. (laughs) But I would want to, (laughs) some days I would plan how I could, but I didn't do it, but I've heard them all. And, and I, and and when they would say those kind of things to me, those, those, those little cliche Jesus-y, you might as well spray me with an automatic nail gun. I was just like, stop it. And here's why. Do you think for one moment that I haven't tried all of the above? Do you think for one moment I haven't prayed? Do you think for one moment I haven't tried to speak to that mountain? Do you think for one moment I haven't believed that this too shall pass? Folks, this stuff isn't easy. And it's deeper than just a quick prayer. It's deeper than just... We'll make sure you go to church once a week. And I want to talk about it for just a moment. How do we overcome it? Do we ever overcome it? So honestly, heart to heart, man to man, man to friend, I would say that on some level, uh, we never really get to a place where at least I have I speak for myself. I have never really got to a place where I just wake up every morning and I'm like Tigger, you know, the, the, the that tiger that, you know, and that in, uh, I forget what cartoon it is, but he just bounces around on his tail all the time. Always happy. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be that guy. I, I want to be that guy. I want to be happy all the time. I want to just constantly be the optimist and just, you know, every, everything's bright and cheery all day long, 24 seven, but that I've never got to that place. Um, I have, I have got to a place today by God's grace and by a lot of really great tools that I've uh, been given in my life that I've discovered and, and community, uh, has, has helped me, but I've got to a place where I have absolutely broken out of that suicidal depression where I'm not waking up every morning thinking, (laughs) okay, where's, where's, uh, where's a bridge I can jump off? So I've absolutely weakened its power in my life, but I'm going to be honest with you. There are, there are days that come, you know, every, I don't know, sometimes it might be every six months. It might, it might be, you know, I might go as long as nine months, maybe a year, but there, there are seasons that come where maybe two or three days I'm just, uh, it hits and I don't know why. And there's nothing I can do to stop it from showing up. Uh, it just hits and, uh, I know what to do when it hits. I've got tools and I, I'm aware of it. 
Uh, and so I, I'm not carrying the weight that, that it, it once carried in my life. For the most part today, my days are bright. They're hopeful. I wake up with a deep sense of joy and optimism. Uh, and perhaps more importantly, I've come to believe that Jesus is right there with me, both in my joys and in my sufferings today. Uh, I don't have this magic Jesus wand that just makes things come and go, but I just know that Jesus is present. And so even when there is a dark season in my soul and I feel that gut punch every so often, I know that Jesus is present. And and I'm going to say this, he's present in more ways than just his spirit. I have surrounded myself with blessed community, blessed friends, a blessed wife, blessed sons, blessed parents. Uh, You know, Jesus uh, is in those people. And I can't tell you enough how important it was for me in the early days of my depression and my suicidal thinking to get out of my isolation and out of the house and out of my bedroom and just get around people that could be encouraging and not not going to them and saying you've got to get me out of this but just going to them and just being with them and letting letting their humanness and letting their spirit and letting their essence just start to encourage me oh it was so important and i literally had to force me myself to do that so there were other things that I, I began to have to do. I began to read. I began to listen to good music. I began to write. I began to uh, get out and, and re-engage in, in sports and activities and uh, just, I, just to begin to get my mind uh, in a different space. And things uh, began to change. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this because uh, there are a lot of believers, a lot of Christians that have this kind of anti-counseling idea that, you know, well, we really don't need counselor. Our counselor is the Holy Spirit. He's the counselor. He's the helper. And I believe that. I really do. I lean into the, the, the spirit. But listen, my dear friends, God places men and women that have this beautiful expertise in counsel in our lives. And I went through two solid years of a man in my life that was a professional counselor speaking to this depression in my life and helping me to understand how it works, opening up my heart, digging into some of the, some of the things that uh, were, were layered in my life. Uh, there were some unforgiveness issues that I had to deal with. There were some brokenness that I had. There was some grieving that I had not settled yet. There were, some, there were some things in my soul. There was some anxiety. There were some fears. You see, there's things inside of us that we don't even realize are going on until somebody that knows how to ask the questions actually asks the questions. 
and we discover, oh my goodness, that has been messing with me. I began to open up my heart to friends and family. I began to exercise. I got on a better diet. One of the things that I did that just changed my life was developing what I call a life liturgy. And I began daily liturgy in my life, readings, meditations, 30 minutes of absolute solitude where I would just meditate, listen to the spirit, maybe do a bit of reading. One of the things I practice today, many of you know this, is I, I, um, I just pray the Lord's Prayer every day, sometimes more than once. And the Our Father just encompasses every part of our lives. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Such a beautiful prayer. And it speaks to my soul. And he answers it learning how to Sabbath well, learning how to rest well. And I'll say this, and I'll close here in just a moment. I, I had to get on some medication, especially when I was deep into my depression. I went to a, a really good doctor, and, uh, and I'll tell you this, it, it took me a while to figure out which would work. I remember the first, uh, the first medication he prescribed, I got home and I felt so loopy. And I said, Doc, I can't do this. I feel like I'm in a daze. And so I went back and, and we re-prescribed and we tried something else. And the, the, the second one he gave me was perfect. I, it, it didn't daze me. It didn't give me any kind of high or low. All it did, it just leveled out my emotions where I didn't feel intense lows, didn't feel intense highs. It just really helped to level me out. But man, did it ever make a difference. So sometimes there's, there's a medication that can help. But we, the most important thing I can tell you, if you have been fighting through some of this, do not do it alone. Reach out for help in your church community, your family, your friends, and the professional community. Get good counseling. Now, I would encourage you to reach out to biblical counselors, Christian counselors that have uh, got good recommendations. And, and trust me on this, in the Christian counseling community, it's like any other profession. There are good ones, there are bad ones. So get good recommendations uh, as you reach out. But the beautiful thing is this, Jesus can meet us in our brokenness. And I leave you with this, Psalm 34, 18, he is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those that are crushed in spirit. My dear friend, if you suffer with any kind of brokenheartedness today. If your spirit is crushed, you are not alone. Do not suffer in silence. Reach out. Force yourself to reach out, to raise your voice, to reach out for help. I pray that God 
would grace you, even in this moment, to fall into the arms of his love. And may God help all of us, each one of us, to see past the happy countenance of those that may be suffering among us. Not to be there to provide all the answers, but rather to provide all the love that they need. If you need help and you don't know who to reach out to, I want you to email me. My email is bbartel, B-B-A-R-T-E-L 99 at gmail.com. And I will connect you with somebody that can help you. Don't suffer alone. I pray God's grace and God's peace upon you today. Thank you for joining us today on Rethink This. Want to contact Blaine? Learn more about his coaching? Give him a piece of your mind? Invite him to speak or just say hello? He'd love to hear from you. His email is bbartell99 at gmail.com or simply go to blainebartell.com. Two final things. Would you take a moment to rate and review this podcast and then spread the word with your friends and colleagues? We thank you. See you next time.